Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of the Liberty B-Side Podcast. I'm Steve King. Alongside me is Matt Lulloyan. Matt, welcome to another week here at Liberty Church on the podcast. Good to be here, as always. We got a uh, fun-filled B-Side podcast adventure today. We do. We do have an adventure today. Real quick, last week we made a joke about how long <laughs> these are going. Yeah. And I was like, there's no way we're going to... I made a joke about it being 55 minutes. There's no way we're going to hit 55 yeah. minutes. We hit 54 minutes in 20 seconds. In 20 seconds. I think that's what it was. We were within so 40 seconds. We were. And we, we did not mean for it to go that long. So We just get talking. We get talking. Yeah. Um, so we, we came in, our mindset coming into this week was we have got to just keep this to a 30 to 40 minute at the most type of podcast and look at what you've done everybody oh my goodness we have nine different questions that came in today nine nine different questioners that, that almost nine different questioners nine unique yes yeah yep. um, some of the questions kind of overlap we'll yep. put them together correct That's but right. um wow like our, our last week was our previous high yes five questions five yeah five was it okay which yep. i think if i'm doing the math correctly means this podcast will be an hour and a half long okay <laughs> sit back Grab lunch and dinner and come along on a journey no, with us. No, time us. We're going to be, what, what are we saying, Steve? I, My clock's already running. My, I got a goal in my head. I'll let you know if we hit it at the end. Here we go. All right. <laughs> All right, so Matt, we're going to jump right in. Great questions in. Give okay. us, though, a 30 to 45 second summary of the sermon yesterday in Philippians 2, 18. No, 12 to 18. 12, Two verses 12 to 18. Yep, 12 to 18. So it's all about obedience. Yes. After the hymn of Christ, talking about Jesus as our as our ultimate example of humility, uh, that's that's what we looked at the week prior, verses six through eleven specifically. Uh, Paul then goes on and essentially says to the Philippians, "Press on in obedience, just as you've always obeyed in my absence. So now, or in, in my presence, so also in my absence. Now, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." So three three things that we saw in that uh, it's obedience for our own salvation. And we had to dive into the word salvation a little bit there as we yep. will on some of these questions, sanctification right. and some of those aspects of it. Uh, obedience for others and the, the fact that we actually can shine as lights in the world and that our obedience actually uh, invites people out of the darkness and into something better, which is God's design. Um, and then third and finally, obedience as an offering. I think it, a really impactful image um, in this passage that I had never seen before for the times I've read <laughs> Philippians in my life. Uh, of Paul, the drink offering being poured out on yeah. top of the Philippians, the yeah. the animal offering, and together their their obedience complementing one another and being this aroma. To yeah, God. I thought I thought that was a, a great finish. I have not thought a lot about that myself. Mm-hmm. Also thinking about Old Testament sacrificial system, the being the aroma of Christ, which we read about elsewhere in the New Testament. So yeah, yeah that was really that was great. Well, let's jump into the questions. You it. mentioned obedience for our salvation and talk about sanctification. The first question goes into sanctification. Let's do it. When does this process of salvation start? When we come to know God and accept Christ in our hearts or at conception, being image bearers of God, when does that start? We talk about God working in our lives. I ask wondering, is if God is working in the lives of people who may not have heard the gospel yet, to prepare them for us sharing the gospel from our obedience in Christ? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and I would say absolutely God is at work in the world and in people 
in, in preparing them and drawing them. There's even, there's even the language of Jesus being lifted up to draw all men unto him um, that he talks about there. I can't remember which gospel reference that is. But um, so I would say absolutely God is at work in people before they make a decision to put their faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, Even the whole idea of God being completely sovereign in salvation means that, you know, the the first John four summary is always my favorite. We love because he first loved us that that God is, has been loving us and been pursuing us. And the only reason that we ever say, Oh, you know what? I believe this now I trust in Jesus is because there has been that work that's been going on uh, in our hearts for a long period of time through the spirit of God. So yes to that. We would not call that work that happens um, prior to us trusting in Jesus. We would not call that sanctification. Sure. So sanctification has a very specific um, meaning as it's related to our salvation and a process that actually, because it's God that's completing that process, once it's begun, continues on. That's right. God preserves his people. He keeps, you know, the, the people who have been placed into Jesus' hands, he doesn't lose. That's right. So there's a preservation aspect to it. So um, it, there's a little nuance, I suppose, to that. God is actually doing some of this work. He's beginning a process in us, but we wouldn't refer to that process as sanctification until uh, a person is actually, well, here, here's the mysterious aspect of it. When does a person actually, sure. given a new heart, and had their old heart of flesh ripped out. So sure. if we want to really dive into this a little bit more, there's another word we should bring into it, which is regeneration. Sure, yeah. And that's yeah. another part of our salvation where God actually takes dead sinners and makes them alive in Christ. Or the Ezekiel 33 passage that he takes our hard hearts of stone, rips them out, replaces them with soft hearts of flesh. That's a that's called regeneration, which is really kind of what kicks off this whole, you know, order and process as it were of of salvation. And it's often mysterious. For some people, they know the moment of their regeneration. Like there's a there's a, a, a Holy Spirit powerful moment that they go, I was dead and now I'm alive. Mm-hmm. For many others of us, and this is my story too, I don't know I don't know when in the process of my life I actually was given a new heart. Um, I you know I just realized at some point that I really had believed all of these things and I just I wanted to follow Christ and I had professed faith in Christ. So sanctification starts at regeneration. Yes. And there's even a an initial sanctification where you are called cleansed and holy even though your process is far from done. Mm-hmm. There's an initial, there's a progressive, there's a final aspect to our sanctification. So I, I would say use the term sanctification as it relates to people who already are professing faith in Christ. It's a safer bet to use it there. Sure. For people who are not currently professing faith in Christ would say God is at work, God's pursuing them. The Spirit is at work in their life or around their life. I think you can say all of those things. Um, but I would say sanctification begins at regeneration. Yeah. That that mysterious, often mysterious, often unknown to us, even in our own stories, that's right. moment when God takes our hearts of stone out, gives us a heart of flesh. Yeah, that's well said. It's good. So in this next question, in verse 12, we see the aspect of sanctification referred to. In other verses that talk about salvation, it refers to the aspect of justification. In the original language, are there different words for salvation, quote-unquote salvation, used in the various verses? I'm just wondering if it's the English where the confusion comes in by trying to use the word salvation to refer to different aspects of salvation, right? It feels like it's circular. Yeah. Right? So, like, and then at the end, trusting in your answer is coming, says, thanks. Right? So, just thanks. Your answer is going to be good. Matt, what do you got for us? The thanks is premature. Okay. (laughs) 
And in case you didn't know this, I actually don't have an MDiv. I have a, a master uh, in theological studies. So okay. the, the main difference between the degrees, biblical languages. Biblical languages. <laughs> Let me read this verse here. Right? That's a great, that is, that is terrific. So, so here's what, so. Can I just read the verse real quick? Yeah, read the verse. All right, so verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that's, that's the, the word salvation. That's right. Yep. Yep. So I, I will even just share this tool with you because it's a tool that I use. It's called the Blue Letter Bible. There, there's other tools out there as well that do original languages. But uh, there's, there's a great tool that's free online. It's called the Blue Letter Bible, blueletterbible.com. Maybe .org gets there as well. And you can look up verses in different translations of Scripture. And then there's, as it pulls up those verses, there's a little button that says tools. And you can push the tools button and, and there's original language tools that are free it's great. for anyone to use. Great resource, <laughs> phenomenal resource. Um, so I would say, you know, if you ever do get hung up in, in language kind of questions, this is a great place <clears> to go. <throat> to answer this question... That's part of actually what makes it. I, I wish there were different words in the Greek that um, that meant different aspects of salvation. There really aren't. In fact, it kind of goes the other way. The word, the one word, um, soterio, is the is the main word in Greek, and there's a root called sozo, and there's there's kind of branches off of that, like healing, and there, you can kind of trace this out a little bit as you get into some of these tools, right? Yep. Um, but there really isn't. There really aren't multiple words for these different facets of salvation when when the word show so in fact it's the opposite so like even in philippians so here's an example philippians 1 19 paul says i'm confident this will turn out for my deliverance yep that's right that's the same greek word right there deliverance as the word there in philippians 2 12 work out your own salvation they're both soterio deliverance and salvation are both so the word soterio actually has such a what you call a lexical range um, uh, the, the range that a word can of meanings a word can have yep we have that of course in english and every language has that but soterio is a has a huge lexical range that translators are always trying to figure out what's the right translation of it yep uh, often they just use the word salvation and it's left to us from context and other parts of scripture to say, is there a specific aspect of salvation that Paul or the writer yep. is referring to? The images and the different aspects of scripture come from other places. So there are words right. for like that we would translate justification. Um, and there are words that we would translate sanctification in the Greek as well. But um, that's where... You know, maybe if we're prone to break those apart too much and completely separate them sure. and not hold them together the way we're supposed to, the word soterio applied to them in this situation says, like, it is all one thing. Right. It's a it's that one diamond, but you can look at yes, it from yeah. the different facets. Yeah, and I appreciate you even mentioning that at the end. Like, you mentioned that in the sermon, so if you haven't listened to it, listen to the sermon. You, we've used this metaphor. It's the best one I've come across. Throughout year, over the years, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, this idea of the diamond. You can look at a diamond from different angles and appreciate it in different ways. And salvation is, is like a diamond in that, in that regard. Yep. Yeah. It's good. All right, I'm going to move into a next kind of a, a number of questions that came in that kind of feel like they're around dancing around the same topic, at least. So I'm going to put okay, them in great. order. Hopefully that makes some sense here. The first one really distinguishing between lament and complaining. Okay. Lament and complaining. <laughs> um, and so the, the question is, uh, or they, they, they go further in the question. There are many biblical examples of people expressing their discontent with things they see in the world and, their own, and in their own lives, especially in the Psalms and the prophetic books. Yeah. What distinguishes those expressions from the complaining Paul warns against in Philippians? And how can we tell which one we're doing? Fantastic question. 
I would say that the most succinct answer I can give is one is done before the face of God and one is done hmm. almost with disregard for God. Sure. So, um, and not like categorically, like you've written off God whenever sure. you're complaining. Yeah. I don't like, yeah. don't read too much into that statement, but <laughs> lament is a, is a spiritual practice of discipline of hmm. taking the sorrows, the burdens, the grievances, the, the injustices, all of the things that we experience in life and in this world affected by the fall. And it's processing them honestly, but before the face of God yeah. in relationship with God. And so there, and that's affirmable. That's, that's affirmed in scripture. That is like this, this questioner at, you know, mentioned in, in very there, very present in the Psalms. Sure. Yeah. Uh, in the whole book of lamentations, that's, that's an entire book, Jeremiah writing, you know, weeping prophet lamentations, complaining, um, is where we essentially don't have God right before our eyes when we're making observations, gripes, um, it just kind of venting. Sure. Yep. And, and, and honestly, both can, both can have an element of venting to them. I mean, you read certain Psalms and it's, it's venting, like it's venting about Psalm 73. Why do the wicked seem to prosper? Why do they like, why, why, why are the righteous people always hurting so much and the wicked yep. people are doing fine in life? Like, is there, and there, it's venting, but it's, it's, it's venting with a view to God being at, on his throne at the center of the world still, as opposed to complaining, being like, Man, things are, t- it's, it's complaining has much more disregard for God. In it. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe that's the most succinct way I could, could say it. Yeah, that's well, that's well put. Let me actually, I, I didn't read this because we're, we're going to get a number of questions on this verse. It's verse sure. 14. That I think everyone's narrowing in here on, right? Yeah. Do all things without grumbling or disputing or complaining. Yep. Right. They may be held blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in a, uh, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like lights in the Shine like lights in the world, in yeah. the universe, some other translations have it. That's what's in my mind from memorizing this one as a kid. The words are different. Yep. Um, so that's where we're getting this complaint arguing. And I think maybe just to add what you said, yeah, I'm thinking of the person, you know, when we vent, there is an aspect of venting. And when you lament to God, that maybe you're venting to God, but you're, you're trusting and maybe expecting that God is going to, you're trusting with God, God with the answer yep. and his response, believing that in his sovereignty his providence, he's going to respond to your lament. Mm-hmm. Um, when we vent and lament to each other, we're inviting the other person, we're trusting them to actually respond and sure. help us, care for us. Yeah. But and not when we complain, that's often we just we just want to put something out there and we don't expect or sometimes want someone else to contribute. Hmm. So like how that's can good. you tell which one you're doing? Well, if you're just venting to someone and you're dumping on them and they don't get to respond mm-hmm. that might be more complaining than it is lamenting that's good and if you that's a great if you say it to test. god and you're like yeah. i just want to complain to god and then complain about what god's not doing you're like hey are you really trusting god sure in his sovereignty yeah. if not it might be more complaining than it is lamenting that's a good distinction like yeah that's good all right let me let's continue in this thread though sure here's the next question um hey this person just admits i'd call myself a serial complainer and grumbler Right. What are some helpful tips, verses or prayers that would give to someone like me to help overcome this? So really essentially how to, how to overcome serial complaining and grumbling. Great, great question. And thanks for the honesty. I mean, yeah. this is the kind, these are the kinds of questions really that, that are really helpful or even it, even it's not necessarily a question at first, it's just an honest, you know, admission. Yeah. Yep. That's right. And these are the kinds of admissions questions that I think really generate great discussion in Bible study groups. Cause it gets, yeah. it gets to the real application of these things. So thank you for, to this questioner for 
the honesty of this and just would say to all of you in your Bible study groups, please feel the freedom and, or work toward having the freedom with the, the group that you're in where you could say it just as, as clearly as this person in a, in a setting of those, of that, of that room. Yeah. And, awesome. and maybe we're willing to go, Oh yeah, I am too. <laughs> like, I mean, I appreciate oh, this person. Gosh, like yeah. I'm a serial uh, complainer grumbler. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I can resonate with that. I, well, I, I found myself there. No too. doubt in my mind, you will find people in, um, in your groups that, that share the same or similar struggles to, to, to each of us there. Right. So the first thing that comes to mind in kind of, in terms of, you know, um, things that would be helpful for, for someone to overcome grumbling. Um, gratitude is, is really like the, the first one that comes to my mind to where um, to really sit and process through where, do, where, what, how has God shown up in your life? And, and what are the things that you can be grateful for um, in any given moment of any given day? Uh, we, you know, we live in between these two worlds. We live we live in a world where the kingdom of God is already and the kingdom of God is not yet. Mm-hmm. And so there's always aspects of the kingdom of God that have already broken into this world. And therefore, um, things that we can be grateful for, things that we can celebrate as being part of God's good design and creation and the way he's, re- he's redeeming and, and making all things new. So there's always something there to be grateful for. And at the same time, there's always something to lament. Even back to the, the this yeah. previous question, there's always... Uh, we, we've not arrived yet at the fullness and perfection of the kingdom of God, the full consummation of, of Jesus's kingdom. So I think gratitude is a great place to start. Um, I think gratitude, uh, comes much more naturally to some people than it does to others. And so the, the labor, even the obedience, um, I'm trying to think of a reference to a verse, uh, well, Paul's going to get there and he's going to command the Philippians to do that, actually, by the end of this letter in Philippians 4, he's going to say, uh, rejoice, I will say it again, rejoice. Mm-hmm. So even the discipline, the obedience of rejoicing, um, you know, certainly we want that to come out of a natural expression of like, I'm actually glad on the inside and therefore I'm rejoicing out of it. We want there to, to that to be a real desire in our heart to like that we're really grateful for something. Mm-hmm. But there is a discipline aspect to gratitude, too, where we say, I don't feel happy or grateful right now. I don't feel glad in these things right now. I don't feel mm-hmm. a lot of joy, but I know there are actual reasons to be joyful. I know there are actual reasons to be glad and grateful right now. Let me look for them until I find them. Yeah. Let me, let me look for the, let me look for the inbreaking kingdom of God in my life and in this world until I see it. And when I see it, then I'm going to, then I'm going to be grateful for it and express that gratitude to God, to write it down in a journal, just to, to get it out. Um, from, from my insides. Um, that's, I think a great discipline and even an element of obedience, an aspect of obedience to combat the grumbling and complaining. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's it's well said this, this idea of gratitude and thankfulness and why, why did Paul write this letter to the church of Philippi to express his gratitude and thankfulness for them? That's right. And then to like charge them to be unified in the gospel. Yeah. And it's like, there's so much from the, from, you know, uh, Verses three through five in, in chapter one, and then and then the rest of throughout. It's like so much of I'm I'm joyful, I'm rejoicing, I'm thankful, I'm grateful. Yep. Even when we get into future sermons, like who he's grateful for and why, and so that's definitely a, definitely a mindset to have and a, and a discipline to build. Yeah. yeah, and I think you know, gosh, think about your own your own life and story, how you came to know Christ. If that's true for you, you can think about people that have just been a blessing to your life. You can think about. Aspects of God's creation that you enjoy, relationships that you enjoy, opportunities you've had, 
provision that you have, even the stuff that we tend to take for granted a lot because we have a lot typically. Um, so there, there's, you can kind of, and that's the discipline part of it. It's like, like I'm like this. I mean, this is, you know, I, I hyper-focus on the things that aren't good, you know, about life. I'm yep. like, here, here's 80% of life that's actually going pretty well right now. Here's 20% that's not. I'm all consumed in the 20% yeah. unless I consciously yeah. say, let me not just assume or take for granted the 80%. Yeah. Let me actually go back and actually parse out um, a common prayer for me in the last couple months. You know, uh, is it lament- yeah, it's Lamentations? Actually, that's crazy. It's in Lamentations. Kind of ties in in a way that was kind of not crazy, though, at the same time. Okay. It's like the Word of God had <laughs> right. such coherence that's that right. it just sometimes flows together. <laughs> Um, the famous verse from Lamentations of the, his mercies are new every morning. Yeah. It's just amazing that that's in Lamentations, first of all, because Lamentations is all about how bad things had yeah, gotten in Israel. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, in Jerusalem. But, uh, his mercies are new every morning. I pray most mornings now, um, that statement, God, your mercies are new every morning. Give me eyes to see them today. Give mm-hmm. me the ears to hear them today. Uh, make me attentive to the, to the ways that you are just being incredibly um, merciful and gracious that I would be so prone to just skip over and look at the places that the kingdom of God is not fully consummated yet. And the things yeah. in my own life that are not completed yet and on and on. It's good. All right. These next two questions are two questions that came in that, that really are kind of getting at the tension between grumbling on one side and working to redeem the world from the effect of sin on the other. And so yeah. maybe I'll try to just kind of pick out some, some parts of these questions. One is, what advice would you give someone who is wrestling to distinguish between being locked in a pattern of grumbling versus providing genuine feedback or pushback that, that would be a catalyst to redeem the crooked and twisted generation's effects in the spaces in which we exist? That'd be like, so that's framing that question. Right? Mm-hmm. Feel attention there. And the other one is, um, can we discuss the tension between expressing negative emotions healthily, so in a healthy way, and the natural urge to fall into complaining. What are some topics that we see around us that need redeeming? This person says, like, politics, like, gas prices, the weather. And, like, yeah. we, we live in a world that, that challenges us and it frustrates us. And we also see ways in which we can redeem the world around us. So how do we engage that well? How do we not just come across as complaining or fall into complaining versus, like, Maybe, maybe, maybe it's like critiquing criticism, yep. you know, and calling out where we see the effects of sin and trying to re- redeem that and reconcile it and fix it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. I think it might also relate to some of the difference between lament and complaining. Um, there's, there's a need to, to name the, the things that, you know, we would say maybe in a general way, things are not the way they're meant to be. Sure. That's, that's part of the effects of sin. That like one of the, one of the things we start to wake up to and realize as Christians and this already and not yet is that things are not the way they're meant to be. And so it's, it's really good to name specifics about what, what things are not the way they're meant to be. Um, what, what are the injustices that exist in the world? Why are, you know, where, where do we see the effects of sin playing out in our time and place? So I think that's right. Um, you know, we already talked a little bit maybe about the difference between lamenting and complaining. Are you processing that before the face of God with confidence that he also sees those things, yes, that his yeah. heart is actually uh, much more grieved by the things that are wrong with the world than yours is? I think the minute that we start to, to forget that and we think that, um, that God's heart is not more grieved than mine, the, the posture and the mentality we start to take switches and it it starts to have an an edge to it that 
does not also acknowledge the, the mercies and the grace that God has shown up and, and the, the already yeah. part of the kingdom of God. Yeah. The minute that we forget that God is um, not already making all things new, that he's not already pushing back what's dark in the world, that, we're not, that our role is actually joining him in what he's doing there already and not like it's left up to us on our own, independent of God, to, to do those things. Yeah. So I think naming them, I think also naming them and even seeing and perceiving even in Scripture itself, where does God also name and call these things out as being wrong and and against his his good design? Um, so that's some of my thoughts on that. Yeah. What came to mind as I was just reading this question, I just had to look it up really quick. There's um, one of my favorite books is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. Yep. I had to. Is that the name of the book too? That's the name of the book. Okay, I know that's I know that's a great phrase of his. I didn't realize that was the name of the that's the title of the book too. Okay, it's the name yeah. of the book too. Um, you know, there would have been plenty of quotes to pull from him into in a sermon on obedience, sure. given that that it's called a long obedience in the same direction. But this is the quote from that book. Is that I read this question that came to mind. Uh, Eugene writes: We speak our words of praise in a world that is hellish. We sing our songs of victory in a world where things get messy. We live out, we live our joy among people who neither understand nor encourage it. But the content of our lives is God, not humanity. We are not scavenging in the dark alleys of the world, poking its garbage cans for a bare subsist a bare subsistence. We are traveling in the light toward God, who is rich in mercy and strong to save. It is Christ, not culture, that defines our lives. It is the help we experience, not the hazards we risk that shapes our days. And I think that framework's incredible because it's honestly acknowledging the hellishness of the world, the yeah. messiness, the, the being misunderstood and not encouraged by people. Even the, the, the temptation we feel when we see these things to feel like Christians are scavenging in dark alleys, poking garbage cans to just kind of get the scraps of what life has to offer. But it's actually the other way around. Like it's, mm. it's actually, we have been invited into the light. Our, our lives are defined by the God who is rich in mercy and strong to save that even this gets in a little bit to the, um, shining his lights in the darkness. Yeah. Uh, this relates to that, that side of Philippians too, as, as well. Um, but what, what defines our life more? And it's God. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yep. it's the content of our lives is God, not humanity. It's Christ and not culture that defines our lives. Yeah. Those are, and if that's the starting point, then we engage with these other things, honestly, mm-hmm. but we're not, um, we're, we're shaped more by God and who he is and not shaped by the, and I think, I think all of that to say that that works its way out into, um, this idea of like still lamenting, still naming things that are wrong, but not grumbling and complaining about yeah. them. Yeah. It's really well said. Yeah. I'm hearing. I'm hearing like the, the 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 goodness of engaging the world around us. We Absolutely. don't we don't just abdicate from the world, right. but when we engage, we have a our, our security, our joy, our peace mm-hmm. is in our identity in Christ. I, I I was reminded just even earlier in Philippians, uh, one verses twenty seven to twenty eight that. Mm-hmm. We stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith and not frightened at anything by our opponents. That's right. And so, there's, you know, I don't want to over apply that. That's like specifically Paul's already talked about. So maybe not maybe not false teachers, but those that are teaching for to create envy or strife. That's right. It's like we're not frightened by people that preach a gospel that if they preach the gospel, it's true, mm-hmm. but they themselves don't believe it. It's like, hey, don't be don't be intimidated by them. Yeah. And yet we can apply that to the world and go, hey, don't be frightened by what the world is, where the world is experiencing sin. Yeah. But engage in it. I was also reminded of a sermon that we had weeks ago. You'll probably remember it better than I will, Matt, where you said, 
we either we, we for the people who don't know Christ, mm-hmm. we want them to know Christ. That should yeah. be that should be our heart toward them first. Totally. I don't know if you remember the sermon or not, but um, it's not specifically ringing a bell. No, but, but I'm, I'm I'm tracking with it's you. Kind of like the sermon every week says that, right? But <laughs> <laughs> right, but it's like I say the same thing every week. You say the same thing every week. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry, no time for jokes, Matt. We have no time for Sorry. jokes today. Sorry. Uh, but it's like that, you know, we're not, we're not frightened by our opponents. We engage and we engage yeah. for truth. And so if you see the world around you, when there are when there are lies in the world that we can combat, we should combat them. Yeah, but absolutely. we But we combat them going that, like, we actually stand on the side of truth for all of eternity. Yeah. So we don't need to be frightened by them, but they yeah. will frustrate us at times. Yeah. And our greatest hope should be that the people that we see living, if we see them living in sin or in lies or if they're... They're contributing to the crippling of the world around us. Like, let us be that their hearts would change. Yeah, that's you know, that, would, that should be our, our motive. Well, and and so urgency is not frenzy. Yeah, that's a great. So, that's a great line. like, if that's a distinction, just make that up. Just made that up. That's a good line. Yeah, that, like does that, that hold? Maybe that, that hold. Maybe that won't hold. But okay. this is what like, urgency is not frenzy, right? So you you can be ur- you can urgently care about the things that have gone wrong with yeah. the world and step into them yep. without being frenzy has a character to it. It's like. Oh my gosh, what's good? Like, and it has a fear, it has a giant fear component to it. Yeah. And it has this like, what happens if, what happens if, what happens if? And you're like, you know, your blood pressure rises and you're, you're tense and you're, you know, urgency is like, no, we, we move fast and hard after the things that move the heart of God. Yeah. But we aren't whipped up into a frenzy. I like that. I like that line. All right. That's I'm good. Gonna, All right. Go. We'll see if that holds. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, <laughs> a question is going to be like, that doesn't work. Here's why. <laughs> We're going to find a hole. Let's hey, that's cheese. Good. Push, push on us. Help right. us sharpen us up. All yeah. right. There we go. We like that. All right. Here, one more question along this line. Okay. okay? So um, it, it, it's very clear that making that making a secondary issue a primary issue is a problem. So okay. maybe this idea of like, how do we grumble, complain in the church when we have these first order things? We've talked about this in recent podcasts. So maybe this person's kind of in. Well, this it sounds like it. maybe the word dispute there. So sure. Yeah, right, that's right. There's, there's grumbling and disputing. It sounds like maybe we're talking about the disputing piece. Yeah, maybe. Yep. So this person says, I also agree that not caring about secondary issues is a problem, right? So say, hey, we should care about secondary issues. True. My struggle is seeing people defending caring about secondary issues that it distracts from the primary issues and impacts the unity of believers. We're like, yes, we we totally agree. Here are my questions. Is there an appropriate time and place to defend a secondary issue? Mm -hmm. Is it appropriate for individuals to defer on secondary issues? And if so, when? So it's like, hey, they matter. When, when do they matter to the point that even though we are united on the first order, maybe is what they're asking, that the secondary, we can't, we have to just like, we can't agree. We're going to have to dispute that Yep, and do it cool. well. How do we do that? Can we do that well? When do we do that well? It's really good. Um, a really good question. So a couple thoughts. One would be this does kind of happen naturally in different kind of tribes within what I would still call that's right Orthodox Christianity so sure. so a, I would actually say that a secondary issue are the reformed distinctives of the Christian faith I think you don't have to adhere to the five points of Calvinism to be to experience the salvation of Jesus I don't know if like what? Someone, <laughs> someone just turned someone hold me chair. back hold yeah. me back <laughs> all right Someone just threw Calvin's Institutes across the room at, at the at the screen to try to break. Yeah. Hold on. We're getting emails right now. Hold on. They're live. Question 10, 11, 12, 13. Here we go. All right. Um, Continue. So that's a secondary issue. Like okay. it's not in the order. It's not, it's not 1 Corinthians 15, things of first importance. Now it's really important in that I think it... It has a lot to do with how we understand scripture to teach. And it, it it's a system. Yes. I mean... It's a system within within um, this broader Christian family, but yep. it's not a primary issue. So 
there are secondary issues, I would say, that do start to, as you start to care about things like, let's say, Reformed theology, you're going to line up and, and want to walk through life in a local church expression, probably, that does line up on a lot of secondary issues. So yeah. um, that's maybe where I would even differentiate between a secondary one, which I'd put that in, and like a third, fourth, fifth, and on from there. Maybe just in that, the comment I'd give there is, systematic theology is very important. That's how we end up with something like Reformed theology. For sure. But when the system becomes more important than what it's trying to make clear, right. that that could that just that creates problems. For sure. Now it shouldn't create that many problems if you're holding true to the system. Right? Like, yeah. The system informs itself. Yeah. It, it's, it's a result of a of a process. Yeah. And yet there are some people, I think any one of us who goes like if we hold more close to the system and we don't understand what the system is helping bring clarity on, yeah, that we just gotta wrestle with that. We gotta, we gotta yeah. find it, our weakness. And there are there are legitimate, I think, reasons, especially when there are options in the, the day and age we live. It's not that every every city has one church. So like, <clears throat> because because churches do organize around some of these secondary beliefs because they they do have an imp, they do flesh themselves out into sure. like we wouldn't have people kind of do a specific altar call to, to rededicate their lives at Liberty. Sure. Theologically, we don't get there. We actually, well, here's how we do. We have communion every Sunday. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like we, you know. Yeah, so, but that's different than maybe what you're meaning. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. But like, so what, all, all that I'm saying is like there, there are reasons to kind of, to, to have, um, I think that the, the part that gets lost often in this time and place is the charity toward those other groups and sure. saying, hey, it wouldn't make sense for me to, to worship with, uh, or to, to be, especially in kind of a leadership role or, you know, in that kind of setting as a pastor with people that have very different understanding of how salvation happens. Sure. It's just going to be a, a, a built-in conflict. It's going to be really hard for us to, to, we don't have to find a way through because there are churches here that are faithful to the first primary things. Right. So that's, that's maybe the, the broader one. Here's how I'd say on, on a relational level, I think, I think it's, it's really healthy and it takes time and trust in relationships as you build them with people. But to be able to, I, I sometimes refer to it shorthand as um, building the octagon. So that's an MMA reference, right? Yeah, the is. octagon, okay. right? Okay. Where it's like, hey, we actually sometimes need to, to carve out a space where as friends, as brothers or sisters in Christ, we're going to have a, a conversation and maybe even a little bit of a debate about something we don't see eye to eye on. Um, maybe it's secondary. Maybe it's even third or fourth order. It's like things we would say, like, but have a, but have a perspective on it. But let's... Let's establish a venue in which we go in and we even say at the outset, there's some ground rules, right? That's the build the octagon kind of, it's like sure. rules of engagement. Yeah. So yeah. I might say to you, Steve, in one of these things, as we walk into it, Steve, I love you. Um, I might even say in that situation, like, Hey, hat, I'm taking my pastor hat off. You know, we'll take our, we'll take our pastor and hat and elder hats off friend level conversation. Our friendship is not on the line. Right. Yeah. Uh, we're going to walk out of this conversation with love and care for each other. But I actually want to hear where you think I'm misguided in my views of this. Yep. And I'm going to, you know, hope you're inviting the same thing from me where I can speak maybe to where I think you're off and misguided in this. Right. Um, I think that's healthy. Uh, yeah. I think that I think that serves people well and actually is part of discipleship. Um, I think you have to build that venue. And especially, you know, if you don't have a deep relationship in front, like if you have a deep friendship with somebody, you've got you just do that naturally. You probably don't need to like set this thing up where you just you just might be able to say to a person like, "Gosh, that's that's silly. Like, why do you think that? That's off." Um, I would not recommend doing it that way. Like in your Bible study group, for example, right. just calling somebody out and you know right. putting them down in that way. Right. 
But or outside the church, or like yeah. don't let that be the common way you engage. Yeah, right? but I think there's something disarming when you say, "What if we actually created a time and space to do this?" Yep. And we identified early on, "I love you," and our friendship's not on the line here. Yep. This is not gonna like. So can we can we just have like an honest conversation where, and we don't even have to resolve it. I don't even expect to resolve it. Yep. But I'd love for you to tell me where you think I'm off, and I'd love to tell you where I think you're off. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's well said. I, I think the. When I read this question coming in, something that came to mind was, you know, when second, I think any, any one of us has seen this in my own, I've had to work through this in my life at different times, or I've certainly seen it in other people. <laughs> it's easier sometimes seeing other people than yourself. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, where. Is that a log? And a, is that a, it is that seems one? that way, doesn't it? Okay. But like uh, when any, any one of us, if we make, when secondary issues are really just um, veiled attempts at undermining the first order issues. Hmm. So I think okay. of when people hold to a secondary issue so much that they, 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 they allow it to actually cause disunity on the first order issues. And we should care about that. We should care about, right. And it's not, and, and maybe that rule has been gated in the octagon. We have to actually make sure we're agreeing on what's first order and second order. Yeah, and third that's, order, that's right? a great point. So like, that's not always the clear. Yep. I'm just thinking of churches that would, you know, have a different approach maybe than ours. A practical example would be like ordaining women yeah. as elders, yeah. right? It's like for some people, they make that a first order That's issue. True. That's true. And so we do have to be, we have to go into the octagon going like, wait, what rules are we playing by again? Right. Um, and that's where there's going to be a, dis- a disagreement when yeah. someone takes a secondary issue on one side, they turn it into a first order. Like that's, I'm just saying it's going to be hard at times. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so the way that we do this with grace and with kindness um, and with patience yeah, and to not let not, um, yeah, maybe not to let, uh, our goal be that we're going to solve it quickly. Right. Or that the value and, and the value of relationship is, is predicated solely on full agreement with each other. That's yeah. We can still find other forced first order issues yeah. to be united in, um, because the world would actually want us to be divided as much as possible. It's That's like, right. we actually have more in common than we, than we think. And I think calling that out at the onset of something like this and placing <clears throat> yourself like, like kind of, Hey, where are we in this, in this yes. conversation? Yeah. We're on some kind of spectrum here maybe of, yep. and I think that's, that's what's so discouraging to me. And I think that's what this questioner is seeing as well is like when you're, if you stop, if you don't stop to acknowledge how far down the road you already are in terms of how much you already have in common, and you just kind of, again, like even the maybe back to the gratitude piece and the complaining part is maybe where all these things kind of start to relate to each other. You just assume all the stuff that, that you, yes. that's already there. That's you just right. take for granted all the stuff that's there. And, you know, that, that's where that's where it's such a tragedy. I mean, it's like, you know, God forbid we take for granted the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to this image bearer of God sitting across the table from me. Right. And I just assume that and skip over it and start to start to speak to them as if. We're enemies, right? <laughs> it's right. Like, That's right. I'm like, whoa! Yeah. Like we're we're so we're like we we're already over the impossible. That's right. The impossible chasm. That's and right. We're over the impossible, and I think that's exactly what this questioner is saying too. So, man, play you got to place yourself in that. Like yep. we're in the family of God here, um, and so like let's talk about this, but let's talk about it as family. Yeah, and it takes two to do that. Yes. So like it can feel risky and vulnerable to like put yourself out there going like, I hope the other person approach the same way because sometimes they don't. That's exactly yeah. right. Hey, let's move on. We got two more questions. Yeah, we're doing good. All right, we're doing it? Well, <laughs> well, we'll see, man. <laughs> okay, right. yeah. Oh boy. All right, so here's a question. Um, in God's plan of salvation, our justification is accompanied by adoption. How would our new identity as children of God help us fulfill Paul's call to obedience? 
Paul seems to, def- to refer to this by calling the Philippians, quote-unquote, children of God, right? Verse 15. Yep. Um, how does our adoption matter when yeah. it comes to obedience? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I love how uh, there's, a, there's a great chart in The Gospel-Centered Life by Bob Thune and Will Walker. And I don't know how much of that they took from other sources or not, but that's where I can remember it from. That um, Sonship, the Sonship curriculum by Jack Miller goes back further than that. That's where it came from. But there's a chart that talks about um, living as sons of God and living as orphans. Mm -hmm. So this questioner is rightfully connecting. So one of the other facets of the diamond of salvation, I talked yesterday specifically about justification, which is an event. It's a moment. um, And it's something we're passive in. Um, And then I talked about sanctification, which is a process. Well, mostly is a process. There's an initial progressive and a final, but it's a process. uh, And it's something we're very active in. Uh, God has to work in us, but we're active in that. So this questioner is bringing in another facet of that, which is adoption. And as they are defining it here, uh, that we are brought into the family of God, that we are no longer uh, orphans, but we Mm -hmm. are sons and daughters of God. Even the the whole curriculum sonship even applies the term sonship to men and women because in the uh, first century and prior and even in many years since, um, only sons were given the inheritance. Daughters were not given the inheritance from the family. So, so sometimes when groups like this use the term sonship, they're not trying to, um, they're not trying to remove women from that picture. They're actually trying to impart the value that God gives to men and women mm-hmm. by, in a sense, calling them both sons. Sure. Uh, because they're both given an inheritance. They're both given the inheritance of Christ. So I'm getting on a little bit off track there, but uh, adoption is another one of the facets of the diamond of salvation. And our new identity helps us fulfill this call to obedience because it's we are we are not obeying as orphans trying to gain a sonship. Yeah, we're not trying to earn our way into um, God's kingdom, God's favor by the things we do. Just as we can't earn our salvation, we are obeying because we're already sons. It's the the famous John Piper line: "Become who you are." Sure. So yep. you're you're already a child of God. You're already brought into the family. You've been adopted into this family. Yep. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, God disciplines yep. the ones he loves, just as a father disciplines That's right. children. We are actually legitimate sons and daughters because we are disciplined. Yes. Yeah. And so the whole idea there is it's an identity you're already given as a as a as a result, it's it's connected to justification. It's you're it's not a process. You're not adopted as a process. Right. I know that's a pro, it's a process in our in our foster care system and our right. adoptions. You know, but but it's not in the kingdom of God. It's a it's an instantaneous thing. You're justified. Right. You're adopted. It's an initial right. part of your salvation, um, and then you obey out of the identity that you've already been given. Yeah. Yeah. And that uh, in Hebrews twelve, that discipline that we receive as children, it's for our good. Right. It produces a harvest of righteousness mm-hmm. and peace, I think, righteousness and peace. Yeah. And so this goes back, you know, sanctification, right? It's like sanctification. It's hard. <laughs> it's yeah. like you talked about this more last Sunday yeah. than yesterday. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. And yet the fact that it's hard probably shows that it's that God that we actually are the it's like the person who goes, I'm really, I'm really sinning. And struggling with my faith, and it's made me question my faith. I'm like, yeah. the fact that you're struggling with your sin and questioning yep. your faith is actually showing fruit yep. that's good, yep. right? And so when you're sanctified, when you actually become children of God, we become disciplined in ways that we previously would not have felt as painful. We would have fl- fled from it. Yeah. Whereas that's now right. we can embrace 
the holiness, the life of holiness, and that's hard. It's really hard. And, but, it, but it produces, it sanctifies us by producing righteousness, a harvest at the right time. It's good. So that, that, like, good. how does it change us? Well, it changes us by, by going, oh, the road I'm about to walk is, is worth it. It's, worth it's, a, it. it's a good road. Yeah. The fact that I'm persecuted for yeah. my faith even at times, yeah. for any Christians in the world that are, yeah. that, is the, that shows you're on the right road. That's exactly it. Yeah. Hey, last question. Whoa, last question. Last question. Hey, this is a good, good, good uh, admission as well. As a recovering legalist, this person mm-hmm. writes, how can I guard against feeling proud of my obedience? Yeah. So maybe let's define legalist, kind of like looking to keeping the rules, looking sure. to keeping the laws of God sure. yep. as the basis for your favor with God. That's going to be a shorthand, yep. just in case that's not that's true. Know, terminology yeah. that... I, I chuckled because I'm thinking of like, yeah, it's like any one of us, well... How, how are we prone to do that? Well, is there any act of service that doesn't benefit me? Is sure. there any act of obedience that doesn't benefit? It's like so sometimes we can turn service, we can turn care, we can turn obedience into things that make us feel really good. That's right. And so this person's going like, hey, I can turn my obedience into like actually feeling like I'm justifying myself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I The initial thought I have is to, I mean, it's right here, right in Philippians 2, but what, I, what I'll call the gospel reflex where... It's it's actually it's good to rejoice in your obedience. I think there's a yeah. there's an aspect of, and it, but it's very different. Again, we talked last week a little bit about where does where does the kind of praise terminate on? We look to human examples. Does That's it right. terminate on the example? Does it terminate on, on Jesus through them? Um, so the um, same kind of thing here. It's good to be proud and excited about our obedience, but not if it terminates on like look what I did. Yeah. If it's the Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. The gospel reflex is when you obey, praise God, he enabled you to actually do what he commanded. Yeah. He actually gave you the power and grace in the moment to like actually live up to the stuff that he calls us to. Uh, I think I think that's the right way to carry success, quote unquote, in obedience. Like when you're actually doing the things that you're supposed to do. The, the other part of the gospel reflex is, reflex is when you fail, when you disobey. Yep. And it's to say, still in that moment, you know, I repent of the way I disobey. But then, praise God, my obedience is not what earns me the favor of God. It's, and it's not what gets me into the family of God, the kingdom yeah. of God. It's, it's Jesus' obedience. Yeah. So I, I would say the shift, the real shift here is not to like... Um, not to become like stoic or to kind of like um, to kind of push down that sense of joy you get when you actually are obeying Jesus, when you actually are doing the right things. Yeah. I think to, to shove yeah. that down is actually the wrong response too. It's just to it's just to translate what would be like an internal sense of pride, like or self righteousness. Look how much better I am than these people. I'm doing what they cannot, and translate that sense of joy you feel to say, "Man, praise God! Isn't He good? Like I actually am able to." I was actually able in that moment to do what Jesus told me to do. Yep. And I don't have that in myself. Right. I do have that because Jesus is God at work in me yeah. to want to act. Yeah. And that's, that's throughout Philippians. Paul is constantly expressing his own joy and rejoicing for the work he's done, that God's done through him. He's asking other people to rejoice with him. Yep. Right. So it's like we get to experience that too. That's well put. Matt, that's it. Those are the questions. My goal was 45 minutes. I told you that before, wow. right? Quote, yep. You can quote me on yep. that. And we are at just under 47 minutes. That's so not bad. That's not bad. That's not that's bad. Not bad. For nine questions. That's, that's not great. bad. Yeah. Hey, keep them coming. It's awesome. Yes, we love and, it. And hopefully that gives you a great place to, to dive into Bible study questions this week. There are a few questions in the guide you're welcome to use. If you get confused in the guide, 
the original title of this sermon was That's Press right. On as Laboring Lights. Yes. We, shift, we shifted the title to Press On in Obedience because it seemed to make more sense as we actually got into the, as I actually got into the sure. text more. Like, yep. That was my original title and my, my Your love title. for alliteration couldn't stop you. <laughs> laboring lights. I'm like, of course they're laboring lights. Laboring lights, work yeah. and shining as lights. There it is. Yeah. Well, Matt, thanks for, thanks for the time today. Walking through those questions. Yes, please keep the questions coming. Um, and we will look forward to getting another slate next week. Sounds good. And um, going from there. So yeah. we'll see you throughout the week if we see you. Otherwise, we'll see you on Sunday at worship. Enjoy the week, everyone. Yeah, take care. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources, information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.